Welcome back to the IPS RSIS Conference on Identity. We will now proceed to our first panel discussion. To our online audience, please submit your questions via the Zoom Q&A panel that appears at the bottom of your screen. Our first panel today comprises of distinguished scholars and practitioners who have joined us to discuss issues of identity in Singapore. The moderator of this panel is Dr. Matthew Matthews, Principal Research Fellow and Head of Social Lab at IPS. Dr. Matthew, over to you. Good morning and uh, thank you again for joining us for this segment of the conference today. Uh, we, this panel is titled Identities and Diversity. We're set against the context of a growing pluralization of voices in Singapore society. And uh, you just heard just now uh, Minister Wong discuss tribalism and its consequences and of course potentially how we as Singapore society can deal with that tribalism. Uh, very happy that we have three very eminent uh, academics here with us today. Uh, Professor Joseph Liao, uh, Professor Vinita Sinha, and Professor David Chan. Uh, they'll be helping us to unravel some of these complex issues today. Uh, let me just introduce them very briefly, and you can, of course, read more of uh, their bios in the, uh, in the program. Uh, Professor jo Joseph Liao is Dean of the College of Humanities and Arts and Social Sciences at National Nanyang Technological University. He is also the Tan Ki Chair in Comparative and International Politics. He was Professor and former Dean of the S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies. Uh, Professor Liao uh, does quite a bit of work on issues to do with uh, Muslim politics and social movements. We also have Professor Vinita Sinha. She's Professor at the Department of Sociology at uh, NUS as well as the uh, Department of South Asian Studies. Uh, she has a lot of notable works on the issues to do with religiosity in the diaspora. We also have Professor David Chan, who is Professor of Psychology and Director of the Behavioral Science Initiative at the Singapore Management University. And uh, Professor Chan's work is very often cited uh, in many psychological management and methods journal, I think about 13,000 citations in all. And we're very privileged to have our speakers. And what they're going to do is they're going to provide us especially from different perspectives, different disciplines which are part of, and uh, to think about how identities are constructed, how intersections matter, and then, of course, a negotiation between these identities. Uh, and, and they will also look at the implications for some of this in terms of nation building, social resilience, and harmony. Uh, we also have three respondents who will provide uh, voice to some of the interests or some of the different diverse communities in Singapore and some of the aspirations that these communities have. We have Karina Lim. Karina Lim is uh, Executive Director of the As Association of Women for Action and Research, AWARE. And, uh, and, and Karina is a leading advocate on many issues to do with women's rights in the, over 30 years. We also have Chavez Lecherman. Uh, who is currently studying uh, gender, sexuality, and women's studies at Simon Fraser University. And uh, very pertinent to this discussion today, he's co-founder and editor of Minority Voices Singapore, which is a social media platform which raises awareness about the ongoing issues about racism and intersectional issues with ethnic minorities. Then we also have Eng uh, Sheng, who is a Singaporean writer, researcher, and LGBT plus activist. Uh, so we have, uh, we'll be having some of their thoughts as they kind of uh, 
think through some of the issues that have been raised by our panel, and as well as uh, they want to reflect some of the aspirations and challenges of those uh, who are part of their constituents, and how some of these multiple identities can be accommodated. So we don't have a lot of time, so I've asked the speakers to spend about eight minutes, to eight, uh, eight to ten at most, and uh, later on we'll have the respondents give a few minutes of their thoughts. So let's start with you, Professor Joseph Liao, and maybe your thoughts about the issue. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, first, um, let me apologize in advance because I got my booster shot uh, just yesterday. So uh, if I'm incoherent, I blame it on, the, on Pfizer. Yeah. Um, but uh, jokes aside, a, a pleasure for me to, to be here, to join this uh, panel, and of course, uh, my colleagues online as well. Um, my background is very much in uh, the study of politics uh, and history. So I will come at some of these issues from that perspective. And I suppose I will use my, my eight minutes by just reflecting on what we heard earlier from uh, Minister Lawrence Wong. And in particular, I distill two important threads to, to what, he, what he discussed. The first really is that Singapore is an ongoing, in a sense, an ongoing social experiment. Yeah? With the, with the operative word being uh, ongoing. Yeah, we're, we're not there yet. You know, we, 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 are, we are on a journey. Um, and uh, you know, sometimes we've had to engage in uh, course corrections, uh, which the uh, minister had uh, alluded to as well. But uh, that is essentially um, one of the contexts that, that he, he set for us. And um, I was particularly struck by the, the discussion on uh, tribalism and of course not just by the minister there were questions that came in with regard to that as well and the question is quite simply given the 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 seemingly natural pull of uh, of tribalism uh, as well as in singapore's context the existence uh, certainly at our founding but uh, even today of of strong ethnic identities how did singapore uh, in a sense arrive at its its current state yeah uh, of, you know, call it stability, call it uh, harmony. Uh, essentially, um, the point being that what we have is not an accident uh, of history. As, as we know, it was very meticulously uh, and deliberately constructed. Yeah? Uh, the narrative and the policies that flow from the narrative were very meticulously and deliberately uh, constructed. However, if the assumption is that uh, tribalism will always have that draw, always have that pull. Then it follows that we should also understand uh, the, risk of, um, the risk of things uh, unraveling. Uh, it, it's always there, right? It's always there. Particularly if uh, what we have is, is a climate that does not encourage the kind of uh, understanding, exchange, negotiation, compromise that... Um, that the minister talked about. And I think it's important to, to accent the point that uh, in terms of the, of the, the, the efforts at mutual understanding and compromise, it is not just an iterative process, but it is an interactive process as well. Yeah? It involves uh, uh, both parties. You know, it's not just one party with a set of demands and then expecting uh, the other party to, to, re to respond to it. Uh, it is interactive. Um, so, really, the point, I suppose, is that this, uh, call it a holy grail of, uh, of collective identity and building a, a, an inclusive uh, society here in Singapore, regardless of language, race, religion, right? 
or, or any other identity markers, uh, for example. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a process in which not so much that we, we do away with the markers, uh, but as society evolves, um, uh, it is necessary to also evolve a, a framework to ensure that, uh, that none are marginalised by the system on the one hand, and none seek to undermine uh, the system by appealing to these markers uh, on the other especially if we have managed to, to create one that um, has, has um, certainly an, a, a degree of uh, consensus uh, with, regarding it. So that's the first uh, big um, uh, takeaway that, uh, that I, I, I took from the minister's remarks, which I thought I would uh, lay on the table. The second, um, and this of course betrays uh, my background and research interests, um, is the, the larger regional context. Um, an inclusive society doesn't just happen, as we all know. Uh, nothing happens uh, in a sense uh, in a vacuum, least of all uh, nation building and, and state building. Um, Singapore acquired its independence in 1965 against, uh, against of a backdrop of, uh, of quite great social ferment and upheaval uh, in our backyard. I think uh, it's important that we not lose sight of that. Yeah, it's important that we not lose sight of that. Why do I say it's important not, that we not lose sight of that? Um, quite simply, because um, when Singapore was independent, uh, I mean, you, you can, uh, if you have time, you can do some research on this. Um, look at, the, look at uh, some of the, the stories uh, and some of the tones of uh, broadsheets um, published in the neighborhood, in our immediate vicinity in 1965, okay? Um, and I, I would bet that in some instances, you will be surprised, perhaps even shocked, to see that that tone still exists in the broadsheets in these countries yesterday, yeah? Yesterday, 50, uh, 56 years uh, down the road. The reality is that Singapore, um, in the course of our history, we have evolved our identity in a, in a larger regional context where, where there have been uh, all manner of, um, um, you know, whether, whether, whether it's, it's a, a conflict, whether it's tension um, along identity lines, um, not very far uh, from our shores. And given that we, uh, as we know, we are essentially a, a, you know, a, a migrant uh, community, right? Whether, whether you talk about um, how we've, um, um, we've, we have, uh, in a sense, uh, a geographic hinterland, which is the, the Malay Peninsula, the Semnanjong, um, whether you talk about the ethnic uh, and cultural affinities with uh, China, with India historically, you can even talk about how um, um, some, if not genuflected towards uh, uh, Britain, at least saw Britain as the model of uh, progress, advancement, and uh, modernization. Right? Um, uh, all this, all this was very much involved in the creation of the Singapore state, uh, independent sovereign state, and along with it, 
the, the start of this process to create a Singapore nation and national identity. So, so all this is there and all this has been uh, evolving and continues to evolve in our neighbourhood. And it cannot be, it cannot be that uh, we in, in, in Singapore, all what, 720 square kilometres uh, with 5.2, 5.3 million people sort of butting elbows with each other figuratively uh, and physically in the MRT. Uh, during rush hour, it cannot be that we are thinking about uh, the, the, the evolution of our identity divorced from what is going uh, on around us. Yeah? So, so I'll, I'll leave it at that and happy to come back to some of these issues uh, later. Th thank you, Professor Joseph Yao. And uh, maybe we, let's hear from Professor Vinita now. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. I'm uh, delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this conversation, which I think is a really important one to have. And it's good to see that we've been having a lot of these con uh, conversations in different groups uh, of, of Singapore society over the last few, um, well, over the last year especially, right? These conversations have become quite common and I'm very happy to be a part of it. Um, I wanted in this time that I have, the eight minutes, to actually um, uh, talk about some of the terms that are regularly used in discussions of identity. Uh, in, in Singapore and, and elsewhere as well. I, I speak as a sociologist and anthropologist, so I want to pick up three words uh, which we hear uh, quite a lot, and we've heard these words both in the minister's uh, speech earlier as well as in the questions that were asked, so it's not surprising uh, that these words are really the kind of cornerstones of the discussion that we ought to be having, and the three words are really the word is uh, diversity, difference, and inclusion, right? And all of them were used uh, by Minister Wong in his speech and came up in the questions as well uh, from, from the audience. So I, I see this as kind of central and, and core to the kind of uh, complex and nuanced discussions we want to have about identity and subjectivities uh, in Singapore. So let me begin with, with the word uh, diversity. I, I think it's really important uh, for us to think through collectively about what we mean by diversity, uh, you know, because the word diversity tends to be, uh, you know, used uh, sort of simultaneously with words like multiplicity and pluralism. There is a tendency uh, to use the word diversity in quantitative terms, right? And I think it is really important to actually shift the discussion and to think about diversity in more qualitative and substantive terms, right, rather than just uh, it becoming a bean counting exercise, which I think is very counterproductive, right? So I think it's important to think about diversity in qualitative terms, which really means a, a kind of a serious commitment uh, to an underlying set of values and principles by which we conduct ourselves and also conduct the discourse on diversity, right? So I think that's the first point I want to make about diversity. The second point I want to make about diversity is that uh, while I agree that you know race and religion uh, have been very important identity markers in, in this part of the world and certainly in Singapore, I think it's very important to go beyond these, right? And, and this is not uh, you know, uh, meant to trivialize uh, issues of race and religion, which I, I agree are very, very important and must be attended to. But I think Singapore is a very complex place. It has always been, and the social and cultural landscape has become even more complicated in the last uh, couple of decades. So I think it's very important to work with the broader understanding of diversity to include 
uh, not just race and, and religion, but genders, uh, sexual orientation, lifestyle uh, choices, political orientations, you know, class interests, language interests, nationality. I mean, it's a very, very complex uh, issue when we talk about uh, diversity and how this diversity is to be unpacked, right? So, so I would, I would, you know, call for uh, not reducing the discourse on diversity to to, to race and religion, and I, I want to qualify that this, this doesn't mean that race and religion are not important. Um, sociologists, of course, uh, talk about the notion of intersectionality, which has become quite well known. Right? How these different kinds of uh, issues that that I've mentioned, which involve our nationalities, our class backgrounds, our gender, our sexuality, etc., how they crisscross in very complex ways to produce the kind of individuals we are. Now, we've been talking in this uh, panel about identity, and indeed the panel is entitled Identity, but it also bears notice that the word identity itself has been unpacked by sociologists and other uh, terms have been suggested as possibilities, right? So. Uh, social scientists talk about subjectivities, for example, or selves, because identity sometimes tends to be somewhat uh, rigid and lacking the kind of dynamism and nuance that we need when we want to talk about the kind of complex uh, individuals that we are, right? So, so that's, that's the sort of uh, first point that I want to make on, 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 on diversity. Uh, the second point that I want to uh, talk about is difference. And this also came up in, in you know, both the, the speech that we heard earlier as well as the questions. And the, the issue of difference is really important. And, and of course, the discourse of diversity throws up both the issue of difference as well as the notice of what has been called commonalities or sameness, right? And, you know, yes, it has been said that differences are inevitable when you live in a complex landscape like this. You know, it's very difficult not to notice the differences, right? But I think what is more important is not just that differences exist, but how we think about these differences, right? What, what should be our approach to the recognition and the inevitable presence of differences at an everyday life level? Now, I think the, uh, you know, uh, difference, uh, sometimes the notice of difference produces a level of discomfort, uh, confusion, disorientation. And, and there is uh, sometimes a tendency to think of uh, differences as something that is problematic, that needs to be managed. Uh, it's a problem that needs to be solved. And, and I think, you know, it might be helpful for us to think about differences uh, in positive rather than negative terms, right? And, and I think this is easier said than done, of course, but, but can we think about differences um, outside of the, the realm of problem, right? And something to be managed or something to be uh, dealt with. Uh, can we think of, of differences in more validating terms, right? Can we think of it in more positive terms? And can we think of differences as normal and natural rather than exceptional and irregular, right? And, and thinking about them as exceptional and irregular then makes us want to solve the problem, right? But if we accept differences as, as normal and natural in all their genuine expressions, then, then you know, it becomes part and part of the fabric of everyday life and not something that one needs to think about or be worried about or, or, or manage, right? So I would, you know, think that an approach to difference that, that focuses on positives rather than the negatives or the potential 
uh, tensions that it can cause would be interested. And I'm reminded of, of uh, the uh, American historian uh, Todorov, uh, who talks about this idea of, can we have difference without judgment and hierarchy, right? Or, I mean, can we have uh, a situation where differences can exist uh, with the notion of equality, equity, and parity, right? And, and not think of differences as always needing to be ranked in a hierarchy or even worse, uh, differences about which we make easy uh, and simplistic judgment, right? So, so I, I, I think that's you know, the sort of uh, second uh, term that I wanted to unpack or, or talk about. And, and the third one that I wanna talk about is of course the issue of inclusion, which has come up, right? And inclusion of course is, is uh, a natural extension of the discussion on diversity and difference. So I kind of see diversity, difference, and inclusion as three ideas that go together. And you know, in order to think about producing the kinds of societies that we want to live in, uh, you know, built on certain principles, and, and uh, Minister Wong mentioned uh, some of these uh, principles about making human connections, about uh, you know, feeling the sense of, of relatedness with each other despite uh, the different differences that we we note, but uh, you know, uh, how can our approach to inclusion actually make those kinds of, of things possible, right? So, um, diversity without genuine inclusion, I think, is at best vacuous and at worst pointless, right? I mean, you need to have a genuine commitment to the idea of inclusion, and and so we need to ask, what is inclusion? What what is exclusion? Why do we have exclusions and inclusions and uh, you know uh, how are boundaries of group membership uh, drawn uh, such as you know to to produce uh, excluded categories or included categories and and you know I, I think inclusion and inclusion exclusion are ultimately you know what I call political acts that function to um, bestow particular rights and entitlements and privileges. And it's also always about scarce resources, right? So on the one hand, acts of exclusion and inclusion uh, bestow these access to resources, but at the same time, they also deny uh, the same resources, right? So, so I think exclusion and, and in particular, exclusion can serve to marginalize and delegitimize uh, particular clusters, right? So I, I think, you know, it, it's really important to um, unpack what inclusion and exclusion mean and the kinds of effects that they have on either enabling the kinds of societies that we want to, to live in or working completely against those, right? So, so those were the three points that I want to talk about. And then the fourth point that I, I wanted to just mention and which has also always been mentioned in the discourse on diversity in Singapore, both at uh, government levels and within the broader society, which is this idea, and you know, uh, Joseph also mentioned it earlier, this idea that Singapore is work in progress, right? That it's always an ongoing thing, and and whether it's about uh, you know achieving a particular level of stability or harmony or or, or whatever, right? That it, the, the work is never done; it's it's always uh, ongoing. And and I and I, I I I do agree with that, but I wanted to invoke here. Um, an idea which I have drawn from 
<clears throat> the writings of black feminist uh, Sarah Ahmed, right, who talks about diversity work. And, and I find this notion of diversity work really powerful because, you know, yes, diversity cannot be taken for granted, particularly if you are talking about diversity as a commitment to a set of ideas, right, and not just a bean counting exercise, then I think um, there has to be a collective commit commitment to doing the kind of diversity work which is required in order to produce uh, you know, the kind of societies that we want to live in. And, and I think a very important part of doing this diversity work is really to interrupt the normative, which, which I think a lot of the discussion on diversity in Singapore today is doing, right? It's constantly raising questions about the mainstream, about, about the normative. And, and this kind of diversity work, I think, is, is really crucial uh, to sort of rethink institutional dynamics uh, as well as, as uh, policies. And, and, and I, I do believe that this diversity work needs to be undertaken collectively, both at institutional levels and, and certainly by individuals themselves. Uh, so let me just stop at that, Matthew, and perhaps I'll pick up on some of this later on. Thank, Thank you very you. much, Mahika. I really appreciate that. And finally, we'll have Professor David Chan. Yeah. Thanks, Matthew. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's a challenge to do this in eight minutes. Uh, <laughs> to try to articulate uh, what we personally feel uh, from our discipline and also to react to Minister's point. Uh, in fact, uh, what is easy though is not the first time we're doing this. Uh, if you recall, in the last 10 years, IPS uh, has organized several forums on emergent group differences, uh, on identities and so on. And recall about five to seven years ago, I was uh, on at least two uh, panels in IPS forum with uh, some ministers. And uh, we were asked questions about CMIO. It was pretty heated up, uh, pretty emotional. And we were also asked questions on uh, LGBT. Uh, and now we use the term LGBTQ+. Right? Uh, so what is important, I guess, is uh, even hearing from Minister, and then I say that uh, many of the things that Minister has said, including in the dialogue, are not new. Uh, we have said that in the past 10, 15 years, uh, 20 years. Uh, but it is nevertheless good to keep reminding ourselves uh, to come back periodically to talk about these because number one, uh, what we have said in policies or they have said in policies or what we feel our opinions can change, especially in the light of new information, especially as time progresses, especially as the context changes. And if we don't come back to revisit, to rethink, to reflect, on some of our positions in the light of new information or changing context, uh, I think it's going to be problematic. Uh, we will not be adaptive and we will not be a resilient society as well as an, as, as an individual, right? Be it advocating your, your group's rights, uh, however you define that, or be it just uh, even in engagement and so on. So with that in mind, I thought uh, if I have only about seven minutes left to react to the Minister's point, uh, I would think in terms of uh, three M's. Uh, uh, I like to think in terms of mnemonics. I think first, uh, the first M is to think about identity as multidimensional. Uh, identity, uh, the problems uh, as our sociologists would have reminded us of giving a label is that we tend to think about it as very monolithic. We think about it as one construct that you can just have these indicators and try to measure it. But identity is really multidimensional. And by that, I mean that it includes a lot of thoughts, a lot of feelings, and a lot of actions, right? Uh, obviously, it affects the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act. Now, think about A, B, C, right? Affect is the way you feel, B is the way you act, behavior, and C is cognition. You basically cover the entire repertoire of our human functioning. And that means that uh, we cannot just talk about values, you can need to talk about attitudes, but you need to talk about groups and so on. 
So when you decompose identity, I, I don't think we can get rid of the word identity. It will continue to be with us. And I think I'm okay with that word because uh, it does provide a shorthand for us to be engaged in conversations about intra and intergroup relations. Um, but when you decompose identity, I think it is important to try and identify the various dimensions, right? For example, I can think about pride, right? Because I think that I'm a member of a particular group or a social group, you can call it LGBT group, a race group, Singaporean, uh, an academic, uh, a police officer, and so on, or a lawyer. Uh, you actually have a sense of pride in the group if it is a positive identity. And what we have forgotten, perhaps, is that you can have a negative uh, uh, identity as well. You don't really want to belong to a group, but you belong to that group. And people see you as belonging to that group. I think that part we have not really addressed. Right? That it is quite important to think about identity, that you have a sense of pride, but the sense of pride can vary on a continuum. And that's why people get very upset, get very angry, because I'm born into this group especially, or I didn't choose to be in this group, this is who I am. But when I'm being discriminated or when I'm being looked at negatively, I actually do not have a strong pride in that group. In fact, I feel a little bit uh, stressed, you know, a little bit anxious to, 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 for you to know that I belong to that group, for example. And I think that sense of uh, thought is quite important to decompose it into its multidimensional aspects. Minister talk about community, minister talks about uh, pride, minister talk about uh, identity and so on. So, and then understanding the multidimensionality, I think is quite important. So I will stick to the use of the word identity, but break down exactly what we are talking about. Are we talking about stereotype, discrimination, pride, sense of community building, and so on? Because it is going to either bond us together or it's going to break us, right? And that's because identity uh, is a very strong uh, uh, driver right, of the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act. So that's the first end, right? I think it's uh, multi-dimensional. And listening to minister and the dialogue, uh, I can't help but think about the second M, right? Because uh, psychologists and behavioral scientists do this for the past 30, 50 years. And that is identity is multiple group. Uh, in other words, uh, David Chan doesn't just have one identity, right? Uh, David Chan can think of himself as male, as a Singaporean, uh, as an academic, uh, but he's also of a, a, a particular values and so on. So there is really no such thing as that I am male or I am Chinese. Well, there is such a thing, but the danger of putting ourselves into one particular identity group only is problematic because I see myself as a whole person. As I interact with Matthew, Joseph and all, they see, sometimes see me as male, sometimes they see me actually as a police officer, ex-police officer or as an academic and so on. So the point about this multiple group identities, why is this so important is that I don't think it's very healthy to say, am I more Chinese, am I more Malay, or am I more Singaporean? I am all of these. And the question then is what the research has told us is that our different identities can be activated at different times. Right? It is not that I am more Malay than Singaporean. There will be times when you feel more Malay. There will be other times that you and you, the same you, will feel more Singaporean. So the question for us is that at what circumstances do our identities get activated? comes to the fore and be aware of that activation so that we can be aware that are we very anxious, are we very angry, are we very happy because we are driven by the sense of activated identity at that same time. So that perhaps is a way to, uh, besides continue to preach about diversity, uh, to practice it right? and to act, just to simply acknowledge that we are more than one particular identity. So you and I could have a different sexual orientation but we could be very similar in terms of our values on many things. We could be Singaporean, we could be of the same ethnic background and so on. So if we could think in terms of multiple groups within a person, I think that helps a lot. 
And my third M uh, is that identity is actually malleable. And that part is really not being told much about. Now, your race or your ethnic group is not malleable, right? If you are born Chinese, you die as a Chinese. But your sense of Chinese identity can change over your life course. Your sense of Chinese identity can actually change depending on different circumstances. And I think that has not been uh, very much articulated. Right? We tend to group people into boxes, and I want to remind ourselves that if you reflect, especially those of us who are older, that over your life course, in the last 10 years, I can bet you that some things that were very important to you is no longer that important to you. Some things that were never important to you has been has now very important to you. And that is part of the reason is because our sense of identity is malleable. It can change right, depending on the changing circumstances, the context, and so on. So with that, I just want to remind ourselves, and in a way reacting to Minister's point, that uh, remember the three M's that it is multidimensional. So let's not just talk about identity, uh, but decompose its aspects. It is multi-group that we have different identities that can be activated. Please don't think of me as only one identity. Right? And finally, it is uh, malleable. It can change. And when, because it can change, uh, you need, we need to give ourselves and give others chance that you may not be very happy. You may be clashing at this time. You and I may be clashing of different identity issues. One fine day, we will find ourselves being in the same identity because we are in the same circumstances, either good or bad. So with that three M's, I hope uh, from a very practical point of view, uh, we can try to think through uh, and just perhaps uh, refrain ourselves from being too angry whenever we disagree, uh, try to reflect on the issues that we are thinking, uh, how do we gain insights of what is happening, and then try to resolve any differences that we might continue to exist. Uh, because uh, differences can exist, disagreements can exist, but we do have many commonalities, and if we can complement each other, even though we are different. I think with that, uh, I hope uh, during Q&A, we will have a chance to talk more about this. And anyway, if we don't have a chance to talk about this, uh, there will be other conferences, there will be other forums that we can talk to. I'll refrain myself from advertising to you a conference next week that, uh, that, uh, that uh, Matthew and I are involved. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, David. And thank you all for um, keeping the time and the excellent work and trying to condense some very, very important ideas. Uh, Professor Joseph, you started off giving us a good sense about the fact that our understanding of our identities have to be contextualized to historical realities and also to the fact that there's a regional reality that we have to consider. I think that's a good way of thinking about how our identities have evolved, both locally as a nation state and Singaporeans as others. And uh, Professor Sina, you've given us some vocabulary here today to unpack and think about identity, which I think some of us uh, have probably not been that familiar with. And also this invitation to look at difference is a lot more normal rather than something that's dangerous. Like the last statement you made about uh, uh, diversity work and the fact that uh, this discussion of diversity uh, has implicitly this interest in interrupting what is normative, and probably in a good way. Uh, and I think that would be interesting. And thank you, uh, Professor Chan, for providing us that three M's of diversity. But I also noted one other part that you started off with, the fact that uh, as new information comes in, I think we should be relooking some of the ways that we are thinking about some aspects of diversity. And uh, of course, the importance of being malleable uh, in how we consider our own identities. It's a good time for us now to hear from our respondents. And I think they probably will be responding to a number of things, uh, but of course they do only have about four minutes. So if I can have Karina begin first, and maybe from that vantage point of being involved in a lot of women's uh, issue work, if you can provide your thoughts about that and anything else. Thank you. Else. 
Thank you. Um, it gets harder. We have shorter time and then we have more to respond to, but I'll try. So, um, so just uh, in terms of the, the work that AWARE has done, and of course, we started with gender. And, you know, I think to just sort of uh, flesh out some of the themes that have come out, we started with gender as we went along uh, and, you know, as the, the thinking in the world as well developed, we then talked about intersectionality, right? So we couldn't just talk about gender because it overlaps with a lot of other social identities and it creates different oppressions for different people. So um, definitely agree with the multidimensionality and the complexity of identity. And we find today as where we have to be talking about, uh, we're talking about the rights of migrant spouses and you know, are they able to work and to live in Singapore, and what happens if their marriage to the local uh, male or female breaks down? Can they still be close to their children? Right? Talk about single mothers and their rights to uh, public housing, low-income mothers, and uh, whether they can get access to childcare, and older women, and uh, you know what happens if they are giving care and they don't actually they give up work and they don't don't have enough for their own retirement. So, you know, it's all sort of different identities and uh, we often do focus at the policy level. So when we talk about this, we have to also, it's not just about how people get along, but it's also about policies. And, you know, we have to look at how policies play a role in shaping these identities in de determining who gets what. And I was very heartened by uh, Mr. Wong's speech for a few reasons. One is this affirmation that it is okay to organize. We recognize differences and tribalism. And uh, I think we should actually be that we are united. We are one people because of our differences, not in spite of our differences, right? We are strong because we have all of this diversity and how do we build on this? Uh, and then there's the, the, the tension of being able to engage with all of these differences, having that language um, as well as the right sort of tone so that people listen. And you know, it's also on the listener to try to listen. And this is not easy. Um, there is, I think, a sort of a, I sense a wariness of certain challenging terms like privilege, especially when you link it with uh, something like sensitive like race, right? And uh, I think we have to recognize that, you know, the word, for example, just majority or Chinese privilege is not something that we should shy away from because all, what it means is that, you know, that someone is not inconvenienced in their day-to-day -day life because of their skin color or their race, right? So these terms are actually not, um, they're helpful to be able to, to talk about it, but we should talk about it in ways that are respectful and we should understand what we mean when we say privilege and we should understand intersectionality. Right, so one, you know, everyone has all sorts of different privileges and disadvantages at the same time. And I think we, sh we shouldn't shy away from this kind of language. Um, advocacy and engagement, good to say, and, and you know, if there is a, a place to engage, 
So I think all of these identities came out because social media allowed us to engage. It's not the, the cleanest and, and uh, easiest place to engage, but we recognize that actually some doors are closed. For a long time, it was hard for where to actually um, engage with government, but it has become much easier. And so now we can engage. I'm going to stop now because I know my time is up. Um, but yes, this is, uh, I have more points, but I'll stop there. Thank you. Thanks, Karina. And we definitely will circle back to you later on. Uh, can we hear from Shavesh? And Shavesh, especially from the point of ethnic minorities and some of their concerns and interests. Hi. Yes, hi. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, with my, uh, in my work with Minority Voices, like, um, obviously, like, we are speaking to a lot of ethnic minority people and they are submitting a lot of, like, their experiences with um, racial discrimination to us, right? So um, I was listening to the minister to say something about like the Singaporean identity. And I don't understand what the Singaporean identity is because my lived experiences and a lot of ethnic minority people's lived experiences in Singapore um, uh, kind of tells us that we are kind of not included in the Singaporean identity because when we are, when I and many people who look like me are questioned about our nationality and, and about our citizenship, um, very often, like that makes you feel like you are not part of like the social fabric in Singapore and you're not part of like Singaporeanness, you know? So I don't understand what that, what, what, what the Singaporean identity is because obviously you can have policies like, you know, you can, on every national day poster, you can have like all four races and you can do all that thing where you kind of include people that the integration policy and all that kind of stuff, for sure. But like, I feel like, um, on the ground when you're experiencing interpersonal relationships and you're experiencing racism on a day-to-day -day, um, basis, it can really make you feel otherwise. Um, I think also like we, I think when we talk about race and people uh, of ethnic minority backgrounds, um, the people that I've spoken to um, also tell me about how like they've gone through a lot of like internalized racism and like a lot of like um, kind of self-hatred with their own like um, ethnicity, right? Or their, or their culture. And, um, and that also then makes it difficult for them to eventually connect with their culture and their and their roots at a later stage. I like a lot of people who write into Minority Voices talk, talk to us about how like, you know, they grew up in uh, Singapore and like they go to primary school and secondary school and like, and like they face a lot of discrimination because of the color of their skin or their ethnicity or their culture. And therefore they have, they start like, you know, internalizing all this stuff and they start distancing themselves from their, from their culture and their, and their roots, you know, and, and as time goes by, it's difficult when you reach 20, 25 years old to then want to like, oh, I'm trying to get back out, like um, make more ethnic minority friends or like, you know, or, um, or try to uh, get in touch with my culture again. It is difficult. And I think, and I think there is a section of like, ethnic minority people in Singapore who have kind of like lost touch with that. You know, I think obviously the younger generation is, uh, is great with like speaking up about like injustices and like racism and all of that. And so like, obviously they don't have, I, I'm assuming they might not have that issue, I'm generalizing, but yeah. Um, um, so yeah, 
you know, I think when it comes to identity and racial identity specifically in Singapore, everything is racialized, right? Like I, people are shocked when they, when they hear, when they say that, when they hear me say that my race is mentioned on my identity card, you know, when I'm here in Vancouver, it's, it's, uh, everything is racialized. So that identity is extremely important to a lot of people. And it's the first thing people recognize you as, right? When, when I walk around Singapore, you know, they're, they're not going to recognize me as Singaporean, they're going to recognize me as Indian. You know, I think that 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 that, that this identity with regards to like race and ethnicity seems to be something that's extremely important to a lot of ethnic minority people as well, specifically. Yeah. Thank, thank, thank you, Shamesh, for sharing that. And uh, uh, being involved in quite a bit of research in the US about ethnic minorities, I do know that uh, I mean, the, the great proportion of Singaporean minorities do feel a sense of belonging uh, to the nation. And to, but certainly some of the points that you mentioned is certainly uh, worth discussing because there are significant portions of minorities who don't feel sometimes that they belong. Yeah, of course. You know, I, 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 I'm not here like trying to represent, obviously as an, as an Indian Tamil person in Singapore, I cannot represent everyone, right? Um, so yeah, I think it's just the population that I speak to. Yeah, well, that's excellent. I think we, can, we definitely want to unpack some of that later. And Yisheng, uh, what about you? Hope to hear some of your thoughts, especially from the LGBTQ community. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I've got quite a bit to say. I mean, not just as an, uh, actually not just as a queer person, but also as someone in the arts, because I do feel like the arts has um, a big role in um, in developing an empathy in healing some of the traumas that marginalization has um, has has formed. But uh, yeah, I think I'm just going to go down the line and uh, respond to a lot of people. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Prof Liao, um, you talked about the importance of recognizing those who undermine the system. But throughout this entire discussion about um, identities, we haven't really talked about. Uh, one of the identity groups which is has been causing perhaps well um well definitely for the lgbt community a lot of uh of uh, of trouble which is um the conservative christian community which is uh which has been growing which is, exercises disproportionate power in government and uh and and finance and uh yeah, and was behind, and was, and portions of which, you know, I don't want to stereotype everyone, we were involved in events such as um, the Aware Saga, such as um, Pen uh, Penguin Gate, such as, um, yeah, We Are Against Pink Dot. And it feel, uh, and I do think that there is, it's important to be very inclusive in society, including of uh, religions with uh, diverse viewpoints, but, yeah, we've we've got to recognize that there's this elephant in the room that is uh, making in life difficult for us, and which is um, and which is an identity that is that is chosen much more than many of the other identities that we are that we're talking about today. Um, second, I'd like to address Prof Chan. Um, I mean, I was very interested in what you were saying about the malleability of identity, but what's something you said at the end about like, let's not be too angry. I just want to chime in and say, rage is productive, sorrow is productive, pain, like uh, as Corinna said about uh, social media being, uh, being an important tool for many disempowered people. Yeah, um, yeah, the, you, it, it, a lot of, um, most people cannot express themselves through 
like, you know, the formal independent arguments and, you know, going through, you know, academic conferences, which may or may not influence policy. Like, so going to social media and ranting, having that anger, that's, that's, that's important. And I don't want, and uh, yeah, I don't want, uh, I think, you know, yes, some of us, we have the right to be, uh, we, we should be angry, uh, especially when you're, you face injustice. I mean, there's this, I was, I've, I've been reflecting on the fact, you know, Singapore, we've got five shared values. We've got justice, equality, we've got democracy, we've got progress. But all that we seem to care about is peace. All we seem to care about is preserving the status quo. And if we are having, and why are we organizing this conference on identity for the Institute of Policy Studies if we're, you know, going, if it's just going to be about maintaining the status quo, if we invite, you know, a minister who denies the existence of Chinese privilege. Like, can we, you know, can we please think about progress? Can we think uh, like as as something moving forward? And um, oh dear, and uh, yeah, oh yeah. The third point I just want to say, uh, Prof Sin Sinha, you are a queen, and I just uh, yeah, the di the dynamism and the different uh, and the difference you are talking about in uh, in in society, that's very mirrored very much in the LGBT community with like these evolving and complex ex uh, identities. You know, it's only recently we've had to start to grapple with non-binary and pansexual identities and what that might entail. And, uh, and um, we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, of critics within the queer community have actually been, you know, holding Pink Dot to task as much as, as much as we are against Pink Dot has. And it's very interesting to see how our notions of community have uh, been evolving to try and be more class conscious to go across um, across uh, racial and religious divides. And I, yeah, and to have that sense of solidarity, including with uh, including with people who are who are you know straight and cisgender. Um, and I would yeah, and I feel that that kind of solidarity is is happening now, you know, um, so, you know, yeah, Lawrence Wong, you want to learn how to be inclusive, come to Pink Dot. Thank, thank you, Yishen, for, for your thoughts about the matter, and, and certainly also raising up the issue about uh, perhaps some of the, the reason for some of the, the rage uh, or some of the unhappiness is there. Maybe just for a few moments, I could just ask maybe the, the panel had some thoughts and uh, before we get dive into questions, any any reactions to any of the the speaker uh, or the respondents or any other things that you might have caught when as you discussed with each other, anything that you wanted to to raise? Did you want to say something? Well, um, I like what Ishan says. Some aspects of it, at least. Uh, I think it is important uh, for me to also clarify uh, when I say don't be too angry. Number one, I wasn't referring to a specific group, be it about women or race or LGBT. I was speaking in more general terms. Uh, about two weeks ago, uh, I was delivering the graduation ceremony at the CUHK, that's the Chinese University of Hong Kong. And you know how sensitive that could be, uh, speaking to Hong Kong at this time. Right? And I was telling them the same thing. Uh, and that is that uh, what has worked in the past may no longer work in the present or the future in terms of strategies or the way you want to advocate certain injustices, your rights and growth and so on. So number one is that all of us need to have the humility to say that the assumptions that we have been holding all this while, uh, it is good to double check once in a while that uh, it might not work. And I'm thinking, saying this in a very practical terms, that sometimes if you want to advocate the rights or the, the injustices or you want to highlight them, 
the strategies that we have been using, we, whichever group we belong to, uh, need to be adaptive and need to be uh, to go along with the times. And in some sense, you are right. You know, sometimes you need to be very angry and show it, because if you don't, there's no other way. Uh, within the constraints of the law, I, might, I may want to say, right? Uh, the second point is that, but sometimes being angry and showing it doesn't help because when it address, uh, when it comes to issues of uh, strong value differences between groups, uh, by being very angry about it, even though you are very angry and you have the very right to uh, come into your beliefs, the only result that will happen is that it causes the other opposing group to be equally angry, if not angrier. And that's what I think from a psychological point of view I'm trying to bring across. You can be very angry, and in fact, maybe you should, uh, but how do you express it uh, is quite a separate thing. You know, I can be very, very angry with my boss, but if I just say whatever is in my mind to my boss, uh, it is foolhardiness, right? Uh, I would want to say, okay, if I'm very angry with my boss, uh, what's wrong? You know, did I do something wrong? Did he or she do something wrong? How can I improve the situation? How can I get what I really want to pursue? So from a very practical psychological viewpoint, that was what I meant, that uh, you need to cool down a little bit, think of the best way to advocate what you truly believe in. But I just want to add that it's valuable. I myself in the last 20 years have changed uh, my position on some of the things. And if we don't have the humility to change our strategies and beliefs on some of the things when in the light of new information, I think then we are no longer adaptive. And what we do is a disservice to the group that we are representing in trying to uh, undo some of the injustices or to fight for the justices because it will backfire. And when that happens, it's not about you anymore, it's about the group that you're trying to help. You don't want the unintended negative consequence. And this is where I was trying to come from. Go ahead, Linda. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you so much, uh, all of you on, on the panel for sharing your thoughts. It was very interesting to hear uh, and learn from as well. Uh, I, I did want to say something about everyone, actually, so I'll take a minute. Uh, so, Karina, thank you very much for bringing up the elephant in the room, the notion of privilege, which, whether it's marked by race or anything else, is absolutely, uh, you know, captured the imagination of large clusters uh, of, of, of Singaporeans. And, uh, and I think, yes, I, I think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about the concept of Chinese privilege and whether it's a... Uh, you know, a theoretical framework that makes sense in, in theorizing racism and discrimination in Singapore. And I think all of that is a very important uh, discussion. But, but I, I want to, for a moment, step back from the concept of Chinese privilege or any other kind of privilege and talk about the experience, right? And, and I think it cannot be denied for many uh, Singaporeans that it is a, 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 a fact of life, right? I mean, experiencing privilege. And so, so what is privilege, right, for me? Uh, a privilege can be anything, as you said, it can be race, it can be religion, it can be sexuality, right? But, you know, uh, uh, for me, what privilege is, is the freedom to not think about race or gender or sexuality or anything else when I'm trying to get a job or get a promotion or rent an apartment or, or you know, something like that. And I think this, this freedom to not be marked by any of your identity uh, markers, right? I mean, I think that's really the key uh, to recognizing the legitimacy of discussions about privilege. So yes, I think we should openly, absolutely openly talk about it without demonizing any particular group because you know there's mainstream privilege, there's class privilege, there's race privilege, and experientially it's very real. And I think it is important to acknowledge the experience on the ground. And, and that's why I want to come to, to Sharvesh. And I think you know, your point about ethnic minorities feeling or you know, wondering or, or being alienated from this notion of, 
of Singaporeanness is is very valid, right? I mean, as an ethnic minority person myself, I absolutely feel it because there have been many occasions recent, particularly in recent years, where I have been misrecognized, right? As, as someone who's not from Singapore, when I go into the hairdressers or when I go to the hawker centers, you know, it's, it's very common for me to be asked, you know, are you a PR, you know? And it's, it really takes me uh, uh, by, by surprise sometimes, right? And so I, I think the, the, the denial of that, the misrecognition, uh, does have a lot of consequences for how we think about our identity. So I think that's a really important point to make. And then finally, Yisheng, I think your point about solidarity is really what, for me, diversity is all about, right? This ability to kind of reach across the aisle and to build these, uh, you know, solidarities, uh, despite the differences. I mean, many people who, uh, who we see as different, I mean, really just would like to be left alone, right? Rather than have their... A uh, particular identity that makes them different be flagged as an issue to be resolved, right? So I, I think, you know, true solidarity would really be actually most of the time just leaving people alone to be themselves. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks, uh, Matthew. Um, thank you for the, 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 the comments. I just want to respond to a couple of things. Uh, the first is, of course, uh, Yisheng, you mentioned uh, specifically the conservative Christian uh, community. Um, my view, and it's my personal view, um, is this, right? The conservative Christian community have uh, uh, a, a legitimate point, just as the LGBTQ plus community have a legitimate basis, uh, a legitimate point as well. Yeah? Okay? So it's not a question of of uh, picking sides here, because if you do that, it goes, it goes down a particular road. Yeah, I think the the issue is uh, to me is whether there has ever been. Okay, to me, these two communities are talking at cross purposes. Okay, the Christian community, the, the conservative Christian community, does not seem to be uh, interested to listen, um, and I would say that the LGBTQ plus community as well. I mean, there's a bit of talking, uh, ships passing in the night here. I'm trying to think of a, a platform where, where both parties have been, or, or a, a platform that has been made available for both parties to engage. I'm not talking about social media. Yeah, I mean, a, a, a proper platform for engagement. I think that is necessary. Yeah, I, I honestly think that that, that is necessary. Uh, so that's the first point. The second point is with regards to the issue of um, of rage. Um, I come at it. Uh, I, I I agree that um, that in certain instances uh, it's perfectly legitimate for people to express that they are upset about certain things. Um, I come from it from research work I've I've done in the past about uh, conflict, and my concern, to be absolutely honest, is. How do we stop that from cascading downhill? Yeah, I've done work on uh, on minorities uh, in the region, uh, in in other countries in the region, um, where where um, things sort of uh, get out of hand. There are proper uh, avenues uh, for the for the the expression of these differences, and you know, can can get into all that. But the point is um, where bloodshed happens. Yeah, um, that is uh, to, to me, for my own uh, interest, uh, how do we uh, provide opportunities for legitimate expression 
without it, uh, without some of that slippery slope uh, coming into play. Yeah. Um, Shavesh, I think your point about the lived realities, I think, is uh, a very important one. I think uh, even even uh, if we're talking about uh, sort of minorities in minorities, that doesn't therefore mean that they should be dismissed or bracketed out. You know, I think it's still a legitimate concerns. I think um, there's much to be to be said and and uh, rethought about how. Um, how we collectively as uh, Singapore have gone about um, this uh, effort to try to uh, foster understanding on uh, issues of uh, race. Yeah? Um, my, my, my own view, uh, and I, I'll put it out there, uh, is that the CMIO thing has uh, long, is, is past its uh, use by date. Yeah? Um, and it's about time we really think of how to reconceptualize that. Yeah? So, so so I, for one, think that uh, the issue of lived realities, um, I think it's a very real one and it needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I, I'm seeing a couple of questions here and uh, there are quite a number of questions which deal with the bigger issues of uh, how do we accommodate all these different identities within the Singapore space? Uh, I think one question here is really the fact that every community, whether it's religious or ethnic community, they have things that are normative. Even the authorities, as Ms. Ryder has put out, have deeply different norms. And that renders other kinds of difference intolerable. So how are these to be bridged, especially repressed? So, I mean, the fact is that every community does have, I think we've really alluded to some of that, but I thought maybe we can just get a little bit more fine-tune of that. With, so, with every one of us feeling very strongly about our particular view, then what's the possibility, and, and the fact that everybody sees other people's views as really intolerable. How do we bridge this? Are we in that stage yet to start off with, or, uh, or do we need to start working on something? Yes, go ahead. I, I, I'm actually, uh, you know, I mean, we've been talking about some of the problems with producing a, a diverse uh, setting, but I, I think there's also some reason to be optimistic, and mm -hmm. I'm quite encouraged to see uh, some trends, I, I guess, in Singapore, which are which are quite heartening, right? And I mean, if we look, for example, at the rates of inter-ethnic marriages mm -hmm. in Singapore, I mean, it, it's quite heartening. It's, it's been increasing from a time when it wasn't very much, uh, you know, acceptable or common. But, but you know, I think uh, that's one example where we do see people kind of reaching across the island, overcoming, you know, the so-called ethnic difference, right? And, and I, I think there are examples of solidarities which are forged, which are real, you know, in terms of friendships and, and you know, making the human connection, I, I, th I think that's really important so that if we, you know, we, we talk about commonalities, right? And it's, it's a real struggle to find what these commonalities are, but there's one that's staring us in the face, which is we are all humans, right? And, and if, if we can kind of uh, begin to recognize that humanity, right, that we share with others who seem to be so different in so many ways, I think that is already the, the start of a journey. So I'm, I'm you know, actually quite encouraged. And I think we've seen these uh, examples, uh, concrete examples, particularly over the last uh, two years, almost living through the pandemic where people have reached out and, you know, regardless of the so-called differences, ideological differences, et cetera, have seen the common humanity and the common plight that we share. So, you know, so I, 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 I'm quite encouraged, but also want to say that a lot of work needs to still be done, right? That's not to say that 
it's all okay. Yeah, and Amita, as you're mentioning that, I mean, the fact that we've had a lot more over the last few years, a lot of inter-religious dialogues and attempts even among religious people to bridge some of the difference with, I mean, really, I mean, you've got very, very different theologies, different ideas. So you do have a, a setting where people are interested in finding out ways to, to bridge and find common space. Uh, do you know if any other thoughts were there? If not, I'll... Well, I guess it's important to differentiate uh, practices and actions that are overt manifest when you talk about norms and uh, attitudes and more fundamentally values. Uh, when you use the word norms, you are really saying that what is typically the case of a particular group, right? So norms can also lead to stereotypes, positive or negative. Stereotypes, by the way, they are positive stereotypes that if you are from academic perspective. Huh? Um, so I think it is uh, easier when it comes to practices. Uh, you see, I may be vegetarian uh, and you eat meat. Uh, I really don't think it's right to eat meat, let's say. I'm still okay, I can be a good friend of yours, right? So there are some practices where you can accept, even though you believe quite strongly that, hey, I'm not going to do that or you shouldn't do that. However, when it comes to values, then it becomes a little bit more difficult, right? Because uh, uh, the, the question that Ishan brought about, about uh, religion, and I think also in, uh, in uh, 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 Joseph's response, it is very, very difficult uh, to ask the LGBTQ plus group to look at it from the Christian's point of view and vice versa. And by the way, we shouldn't use the word Christian because there are other religious groups and Christianity is a very heterogeneous group also. So because there's fundamental value group differences, it is very difficult to change our values because you know values take many years to develop and so on. Uh, and because values is your sense of what ought to be and what is right and wrong, right? And to be consistent and coherent, you will want to advocate that uh, what you believe in. Uh, in the same way that PAP, the political party, has certain values and they believe in certain things and they will do all they can to advocate what they believe is right and wrong. So values operate at that level. It is therefore very difficult for us to change. And the only way I will look at it uh, I'm not sure asking them to come to a conversation will necessarily solve the issue. Uh, what I would do, uh, if I were the policymaker, were to keep highlighting the complementarities and your multiple identities. I would want to remind the Christian group and the LGBT group that uh, we, while we recognize there are differences that may not be able to be reconciled, you are much more beyond that particular identity, no matter how important that is. And that's why we can be good friends you know, I can be good friend with somebody of a different sexual orientation. I can be good friend with somebody of a different religion because we are much more than just one particular identity. And when I say that, I really mean it, right? It means that Christians, Muslims, LGBT group, whatever group, it is not trivializing your sense of identity. It is actually telling each other that we are more than the identity that we completely disagree with. And when you think in those terms, you see the person as a whole person. How does that occur? Through naturalistic interactions. I used to have a certain perception of certain groups of people. But when they become my good colleagues, then over the years, uh, I begin to see the person as an individual. Right? I think that makes the world of difference uh, to naturalistic interaction, social relationship. Thank you. I, I know that Karina and Chavesh have raised their hands, and I'll go to them in just a second. But I wanted to also pick up on this question, which is, is trending. This whole idea about talking, encouraging difference, or, or being able to speak of difference in a more validating way. I know Vinita started off discussing that, I know that that's something that uh, we already have been been uh, thinking about for a while. This, what, what, how, how do we do that? And I think people are also alluding to this idea that at a national level, the state level, for instance, how do we allow people to actually, I mean, look at difference in a more validating way? Joseph, any thoughts? Yeah. Um, well, I think first, definitely we can't ignore it. 
yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it would be a big mistake to, to ignore it, pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah. But uh, having said that, once you acknowledge that it exists, you can't sort of just leave it there as well. You know, I don't think that is constructive mm. either. Um, as far as the, the, the state is, is concerned, I think that to some extent, it is uh, incumbent on the, the state to be able to provide, again, um, uh, these platforms. Because a lot of times, uh, in, in my view, difference arises uh, from the fact that uh, there's either uh, uh, disinterest or just uh, you know, very deep, um, you know, uh, call it uh, aversion towards an, another party without actually knowing what that other party uh, represents, what the other party uh, believes in, etc. So, so there is, uh, to me, there is a need for, for uh, some kind of uh, a conversation and engagement. And I think uh, to some extent, the state can play the role uh, in terms of uh, providing that. I mean, it, if you look at the literature on the state, it's supposed to be part of the job of, uh, of, uh, of a state in the first place. Yeah? Um, so I think that uh, will be an important start point. Will it be so different from our you know, fundamental of Singapore is really about building harmony? And I think for throughout nation building, we have tried to play down those differences. Do you think that shift now at this stage would be something that's easy for both the government and the population itself? I think the first, like I said, the first realization is yes, we, we, we need to, I don't think um, uh, it's, uh, you know, yes, we've tried to play down the differences, but we need to acknowledge it. Um, and uh, in certain instances, it's, it should be quite clear that you, you, can't, you can't play it down. You need to tackle it head on, right? Uh, but not in, not in, uh, not in, uh, in, uh, in an oppressive way. These are legitimate expressions of concern uh, with regards to, to discrimination, yeah? Um, I mean, uh, again, returning to, to what Minister uh, uh, alluded to, if it's, if it's about um, uh, we and our, yeah, the collective, then um, the, there needs to be an effort and an opportunity for every, every element in that uh, collective to be able to express uh, it, their fears, you know, about not being part of that collective. Thank, thank you. Matthew, can I, yeah, since ahead. I brought it up, I should, I, I would like to say something. So yes, I mean, I, I agree, right? I mean, I, I, I really think that uh, talking about differences in more positive terms is is part of the solution. Uh, but I think it's also important to ask what kinds of differences are consequential, right? I mean, not all differences are consequential. For example, uh, we've, we've heard about sort of um, notice being drawn to the color of skin, right? I mean, we've heard the racism that happens in, in local schools as well, where, you know, kids of different skin color, you know, some kids don't want to hang out with them because, and, you know, so it's, it's not just the difference, right? In kind of objective terms, but, the kinds of values that are associated with that difference. And I think that's what we want to address. So, you know, it's, it's, it's become sort of easy to move from the color of your skin to, well, if, if you are, you know, if you have a brown tone or a dark tone, therefore it translates into other things like you are dirty, you are unhygienic, you are unsanitary, right? I mean, and, you know, other things. So I think it's really addressing the kind of value set that uh, underpins the notice of those differences, right? And if one can replace those values, negative values with positive values and actually, uh, you know, uh, disseminate this view that some obvious differences are not consequential for social interaction, right? Why do we need to even draw attention to those? I, I think that's also part of the 
uh, narrative. Thank you. You can go, go to Karina now. Karina, raise your hands. And, uh, Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I think uh, in terms of how do we address some of these things, I the, the one thing that concerned me about Minister Wong's speech was uh, you know, focusing on the Singaporean identity, yet another identity that we try to draw. And that, of course, creates a division between Singaporeans and non-Singaporeans, including PRs. Um, and this is tricky, right? And on an island where 60% of the people are Singaporeans and 40% are not, that's, that's huge. That could be very destabilizing, right? If we don't manage that. Um, so this self, this using that as the means to try to uh, bring people together is to me has some downsides. And so then we'll have people falling through the cracks, like the migrant spouses, you know, who have Singaporean children, where do they lie? And I think once we start creating, thinking of, of, of different categories of people, and some as first class and some as second class, it becomes a little bit dangerous. And then it shifts into, you know, our own race management. Uh, as uh, Benita had pointed out, the example that she had experienced. So I think a better way is really to think about certain rules and values that we go by, right? What do we stand for? Inclusiveness, diversity. We make sure that uh, whatever, whoever you are, whatever your social identity, no violence against you, the state will protect you. If there's an Anti-Discrimination Act, that it covers everyone and all the differences, uh, social identities. So I think those might be better ways rather than to create yet another category, which, you know, I think sort of politically it might be, I can understand why government might choose that, but I feel that as a trading hub, a financial hub, which really depends on getting uh, quality, the best people. I, th I think this is not such a great strategy. Thank you. Thanks. And Shabesh, you want to say something? I just... Yeah, I wanted, I actually wanted to respond to actually uh, Professor David Chan's point about like values. And he said something along the lines of like, you know, like um, obviously people who do not support LGBTQ uh, folk and like LGBTQ people, um, and 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 have and them having different values, right? And I'm sure they have different values. But I think um, in Singapore, you are able to exist as a Christian person freely. But it's not easy for you to exist as a LGBTQIA plus person, right? You're you literally don't have certain rights. You uh you could get jailed. Like I could get jailed if I were to have sex with my partner, for example, right? That's a possibility. But being Christian in Singapore, you don't, or any other religious group, you can exist as yourself. I think that's the that's the biggest difference. That like you're infringing upon someone else's right to be themselves. Whereas I I don't think LGBTQ people are trying to tell Christians not to be Christian. You know, that's the that's the main that's the, I think that's the main difference there. Thanks, thanks, Shavesh, yeah. for pointing out that. Yeah, I mean, and, and I if I can just jump back to and taking Shavesh point and of course. Karina's point, which I think we talked about, the, I mean, the Singaporean identity and how that might be a, a consideration. Uh, maybe we just take that out first and then, then I, I'll, I think we've got another question about, I think, which, which works very well with what Shavi just brought out. But any, any comments about 
Karina's point just now. Yeah, I think uh, I actually agree with uh, both comments, right? Uh, there is a asymmetry. Not all groups are equal in the same way that the majority group and the minority group, men and women, you know, even though 50% of the population is female, you know, female are disadvantaged in many, uh, along many ways. So I think we have to recognize that when we say value differences, that's one dimension of it. There are dominant values, there are mainstream values, there are some values that are, that are if you like to use the word, uh, encroaching on the values of others. Uh, and it could be correlated with the size of the number of people, but it could also be correlated with the power of the minority voice. And the people who are governing who decide to give that minority group a voice, for example. So I think that's where we are trying to come from, where I'm trying to come from as a behavioral scientist to say that when it comes to value differences, just take a pause because it is quite not possible, maybe in the next five years or so, to change the other group's values. So that's number one. But number two, I totally agree with you that there is an asymmetry. And what that means is that just like we tell the Chinese to be a little bit more sensitive to the minority groups because there are things that they are going through that you as a Chinese will not go through. In the same way, I agree with you that uh, uh, people who are against LGBT might want to take a pause and realize that LGBT groups are going through things which uh, you as a non-LGBT does not have to go through or do not have to go through. So it's the same analogy, right? So today could be LGBT, tomorrow could be some, something else. I think that asymmetry we need to recognize. So I do agree with you. I just want to round off by saying that uh, to uh, Corinne's point about uh, Singapore identity, I don't think they are mutually exclusive at all. I don't know of any country, any government, and any people or citizens who says, let's not talk about my citizenship. Americans talk about Americans, Japanese talk about Japanese, and so on. I think our Singaporeans would very much like to say that as Singaporeans, what do we have in common and share of identity? And that's not, that's not inconsistent with a cosmopolitan city, a city in the country, a place where you can coexist with uh, foreigners and PRs, a place where PRs can say, this is my lovely second home, a place where foreigners say, I want to come to work and live and play in Singapore. So I don't think that they are inconsistent. I think what you uh, may be alluding to is, which I will agree that it will be dangerous to act as if that Singapore identity is the only and most powerful force to bind people together and all other things don't matter. But I, and I don't think minister or any minister for that matter will be so dumb to say that, uh, you know, that Singaporean identity cannot be the only thing. In fact, we have a little too, it's about common values, respect for dignity and so on. And that I think can bind people together. Okay. You know, I just want to end off with this uh, little bit controversial remark. Uh, to say that you are Singaporean first and foremost, uh, it's a bit difficult, you know. Uh, and I don't, and, and by saying that, I'm not putting any doubts to things. If you ask a very staunch Christian, you are first and foremost a Singaporean. What does the next line mean? Then you are second as a Christian. It's going to be very, very tough. Because if the person believes in that metaphysics, how are you going to tell that person that you are first a Singaporean, put your religion aside? Not possible. You're going to tell a woman who feels you are very strongly discriminated, you are first a Singaporean, then you are a woman. I don't think it works in the same way LGBT and so on. So don't. So I would not say you are first a Singaporean then because you're forcing people to choose. I would say that you are both a Singaporean and a Christian. How then do we work this thing out together so that you can be a fully committed Singaporean that love each other, work with each other, and you can be somebody who practices and love your God and so on. Thank, thank you, David. I, I want to just make sure I get to the top most worded question. Uh, and I think it, it, you, you've really started alluding to that. Maybe I'll just get the rest of the panel to, to keep their thoughts. And, and really, the, the essence of the question is really, 
despite the fact that some, some groups are going to come out angry in their requests because of how they feel that identity has not been recognized properly, uh, should we accept the fact that their request is legitimate irregardless of the manner by which they bring it out? So you can be very angry in terms of your tone of demanding. Uh, I mean, but should we still see that as legitimate? I think there's some other questions. The second most worded question was also got to do with the whole idea that within this space, we're always thinking about, uh, we, we try to choose words which seem to be a lot more palatable. Instead of advocacy, we prefer engagement. So we have a way of trying to go away from what would come out as angry. Uh, any, any quick remarks as we wrap up today? Yes, uh, Vinita, great. Thank you. Thank you for those questions, which I think are key. And uh, it also allows me to pick up on some of the things that uh, the panel was saying. I mean, you know, yes, Singapore is not a level playing field, right? Very few societies are like that. There are asymmetries, there are inequalities, et cetera. And, you know, <clears throat> we've seen a, we are seeing a situation where uh, different groups are sort of uh, projecting their own commitments and speaking up on behalf of their own identities, right? Which, which I guess, you know, is what leads to possibly the notion of identity politics, right? I would like to see a, a scenario, and I, I don't know whether this is too idealistic, but I would like to see a scenario where, you know, as Singaporeans, we are not only advocating on behalf of the identities that we so-called represent. I'm scared to represent anyone. I mean, I look Indian, etc., but I would be very, very cautious about claiming that I represent any constituency, right, woman or, or whatever. But, you know, I'd like to see a situation where, uh, you know, as Singaporeans, we express a commitment uh, to... Um, you know, the rights of others to express themselves, whatever those rights may be. So then it is not just the burden of the uh, ethnic minorities to take care of the interests of ethnic minorities or of LGBTQ, you know, plus groups to take care of those or women to take. I mean, you know, this, I mean, many famous people have said this, right? I may disagree with you. I forget the most famous people who said this, but mm -hmm. I may disagree with what you represent, but I will fight for your right to. Uh, express yourself, right? I mean, that's the kind of situation I think we want to come to. And I think that's where one actually avoids the so-called dangers of identity politics, where, you know, the flag is not being waved by people who are, you know, of that constituency, but it is accepted as a generic commitment by the rest of society as well, right? I mean, the minute you begin to think that only women should be concerned about women's issues or only ethnic minorities should be concerned about uh, issues affecting ethnic minority is where I think you begin to see the cleavages, right? So I would like to see a, a Singaporean society where all of us, you know, at the level of ethos are committed uh, to enabling uh, others to express themselves, right? Without necessarily being a part of that constituency. And I think that's, that's for me, you know, true diversity and, and acceptance of differences and, and that's inclusive, right? Thank you. Thank you very much. We are running out. We have actually over short time. But let me give Joseph Always. a moment to do a concluding statement. Well, actually, I, I think Vinita wrapped it up uh, quite well. I think I very much agree with what she said. Uh, all I would say is, uh, in addition to that, is that uh, as to my earlier point, it's, it, it, is a, it is a journey, you know, in a sense. We're not there yet. We're not sure. at that state. I mean, that is, in a sense, the, the ideal that we all should strive, you know. And... Um, it would be it would be uh, very necessary and uh, it's very important also because we need to we need to acknowledge um, 
the the concerns, especially of uh, groups that uh, that uh, feel a sense of discrimination for what for whatever for whatever reason. Yeah, um, I think it shouldn't be a case where um, if it's just a minority or worse a minority minority um, that it's somehow you know uh, less relevant or less less important. Um, that's not what uh, nation nation building uh, should be about. Thank you, Michael. So with those thoughts, I think we will round off this panel. Thank you very much. I really appreciate our respondents as well. Sorry I didn't get a time to talk to have everyone speak, but thank you very much, Karina, Shalvesh, and Yisheng. And certainly thank you, David, Vinita, and, and Joseph, for really giving us a very productive time with very, very rich insight as we think about this area and chart whole issue about how we deal with identity and diversity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all the panellists. We will now proceed for a short 10-minute break. Please join us again at 12.10pm.